out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the drummer, Terry Graham, who I spoke to very recently in LA to find out more about life, love and poetry. Terry was the drummer in the early years of the LA-based band called The Gun Club and uh, was in various other ones as well, like The Bags, and went on to do various other exciting things in his life. Anyway, look, this is the interview. This is going to be in three parts for various reasons, um, which I could go into if you want. It's to do with the reception and various other issues we had. But anyway, this is going to be part one, the early years. Um, don't worry, parts two and three are just as exciting. So uh, do check them out. Anyway, look, after several minutes of casual chat with Terry, we got down to that very exciting subject that was the formative years. Terry, take it away. Well, funny you would say that because, uh, um, you know, I was a kid. I mean, I was 12 years old in 1968. So not old enough to be out, you know, protesting and, and levitating the Pentagon or whatever it was that they were doing, but certainly old enough to be very aware. And even as a kid, I mean, even earlier than that, like mid 60s, 65, 6, 7, you know, I, I, I just hear actually practicing in their garage, you know, it's in them play. And, and I was like, wow, that is so cool. It is so fantastic, you know, um, but uh, being so young, but I, I um, uh, my mother loved Elvis. My mother loved, uh, she was so into rock and roll. She loved little Richard. And, and I really have to give her all any credit, you know, I, that just for kind of inspiring this in the beginning. But um, I think initially, of course, it was the Beatles. I had an opportunity to see them in 1965, but my mother thought that $5 was too much to pay. And <laughs> I, 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 I now look back and I, you know, I, I remind her of that every now and then. $5, yes. really? That was too much, really? Even then, really? Uh, <laughs> you know. Terry, just when, when you just mentioned you heard somebody playing in your garage, that the line had just kind of like went for five seconds dead. What was the band that you mentioned oh. there? Oh, it wasn't a band. It was just like neighborhood. Right. Uh, I would just hear this, this rock and roll, you know, being played and practiced. And, and it, it, that, that was my first kind of direct. I mean, I, I didn't go over and watch them. I just heard it. Right. You know, I could just hear it from someone's house in the suburbs, you know, and uh, but but it was just such an incredible thing. It was just so inspirational. Yes. And uh, so it was the Beatles. And then I kind of jumped uh, when when Jimi Hendrix's first album came out. I, I, I just I was like, oh, my God. Yes, this is it. Uh, yes, Mr. Hendrix. Yes, uh, this is, you know, it was a whole different thing. But I loved garage bands from the. 60s the ones that actually were played on the radio you know the kinks and 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 uh uh moby i mean just there were a lot of things that at the time i really wasn't keeping track of but because there was so much of it you know what? but it was all making an impact and um uh, and so hendrix but i have to say i had a girlfriend in the early 70s and i i was aware of david bowie but not much because I was still kind of into Hendrix and Cream and Black Sabbath and all that hard crunchy stuff. Um, but she sat me down one night and said, you know what? You're going to listen. You're, you're going to shut up and you're going to listen. I don't want to hear anything. Just listen to this. 
So she played Ziggy Stardust all the way through. And at first I was like, I was just so, I was against it. I'm like, I can't, I can't handle this. Little three and four minute songs. What are you talking about? Where's the guitar solo? Where's mm. the noise? But by the end of it, I was such a convert. I'm like going, wait, wait, this is perfection. This is what it should be. <laughs> it's like, it's like pop music realized, you know, look at, listen to that. What could be better? So she, thanks to her, it was quite a, uh, it was quite a revelation. And, yes. uh, and I have to say, Bowie was just, you know, and then of course I went out and bought everything I could find. And, Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. And yeah. did you, and was your, I mean, you mentioned your mother, was your father at all kind of an influence on your musical world? Or well, um, no, my father was, uh, he was in the Marines, uh, just, he didn't fight anywhere. He just, he got, uh, kicked out actually he um he was a bit of a uh, a criminal um in dallas uh, you know jack ruby who was involved in the kennedy assassination and one of the local gangsters there who had been kicked out of chicago they sent him to dallas which was kind of a demotion for him yes. but he had some strip clubs and things like that and my dad uh he would go there and hang out and and try to buddy up to Jack and, and do little things for Jack. You know, um, I, I could just see him with this head, you know, this cornucopia of con sort of swimming around in his head. But, you know, he was never really that, but, but he tried. Yes. And um, <laughs> so he, um, he divorced my mother before my first birthday and, and hit the road and went out to California where he stayed for for many years running his little empire um he was uh he, he he was busted for marijuana in Texas back then I mean he he was found with a couple of marijuana seeds seeds um in his jacket and he was sent to prison for two years uh um, just for the seeds but that was Texas in the you know in yes. the 1950s I mean you you just didn't mess around with that stuff even though cops and and uh, so many people there were uh, you know sorry let's let the emergency pass yes i can i can tell uh, there we go yeah well <laughs> southern california is always on the verge of some sort of emergency um but um but uh, yeah he he eventually uh left he became a, a, a pimp i mean literally when i met him again when i was 20 years old i met him in palm springs and and um he drove out uh, with one of his ladies, I guess his lady, the, the boss lady. Mm. And he had about five or six women that worked for him. He liked rock and roll. He told me, oh, you know what? We, uh, when Willie Nelson tours, we, we go over and we, uh, yeah, we help those guys out. You know, the roadies and, and he comes with a big crew and yeah, we're friends with them. And he named a couple of other bands like that. I don't know. So <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I guess he supplied entertainment, you know. To, yes. That, that was, that was as close as he got to my rock and roll um, connection. Well, yeah, so <laughs> it was quite a different um Yes, quite a different relationship yeah. with your father. I mean, I'm just kind of curious, how, how does his life kind of progress and end? It's just always a bit of a, because it's never, it's not always a good, you know, it's not a great path. Yes, is it? and it wasn't very good in this case either. Um, <laughs> his name was Frank, Frank Parker. My original last name was Parker. When my mother remarried, they actually asked me if I wanted to change it. I, I don't know why I did, I should have kept it. But, um, but uh, nonetheless, 
uh, yeah, he went to Palm Springs. He finally, I think he just got in trouble, not so much from law enforcement, but from the people that he had to do business with. You know, they were just maybe a little meaner, a little tougher, a little more ruthless than he. Mm. And um, I think at a certain point, he just said, you know, probably time to step away. So he moved back to Texas. He wanted to start um, a barbecue restaurant of all stereotypical things to do in Texas. <laughs> and um, <laughs> probably a strip club on the side, but um, but he did like to go to these kind of, uh, eh, I don't know if they don't really even exist anymore, sort of nightclubs with some entertainment, a little on the the fancier side, you know, the posh side, uh, if such a thing really existed back then, it sort of did. Mm. Um, and he was at one of them uh, one night in 1984, and a, uh, a guy came in and tried to dance with this woman, um, and she wouldn't let him. He went out to his car, brought two, I think he had at least two handguns with him and I think maybe there was like another one tucked into the back of his pants. He started randomly shooting people. One of the people he shot was my dad. And uh, my dad uh, was shot three times while he was slipping off the bar. He was gonna go out, The, the uh, one of the guys in the kitchen said this. He was trying to get out to his car where he had guns in the trunk and he was gonna get one, come back in and shoot the guy. But he died before he could get back there. So when I, my mother told me that she was crying her eyes out, even though they'd been divorced, she was still in love with him. Mm. And, um, but my thought was, well, karma just caught up with dad. That's what that is. (laughs) (laughs) He he lived a life and it, it got to him. It finally caught up with him. Even after he had, you know, changed his ways, so to speak. Um, it, it just seemed it just seemed kind of like a, a, a very organic c- completion of the circle of life. You know, <laughs> he was an asshole. I'm sure he did a lot of bad things to people over time and it caught up with him. And um, but it's a little sad. He and I did try to carve out a relationship and I think we would have. Uh, but at the time, punk rock was just, you know, going crazy when I first met him in 78 and 79. And I was not into whatever he he loved to go to discotheques and things like that that were just i mean disco you know 70s disco (laughs) um and uh but but by 84 we had spoken a little bit on the phone and you know we were starting to kind of uh put the pieces together and i think it would have been it would have been fine but um life stepped in yes that was that but yeah you're right it did not have a happy ending it didn't have a good one (laughs) but uh yes so were you the only were you the only child you know or did your mum um she did she had a couple of others uh when i was uh, eight years old she had remarried and and so i have two brothers half brothers um and uh but you know for that first eight years i mean it was you know i was really kind of free to just explore pop culture. I mean, I was so attracted to it. Movies, television, rock and roll. Um, I remember my grandfather saw the Rolling Stones on the Ed Sullivan show. I think their first appearance, whatever year that was, 66 maybe or something. 
Yes. And um, he just gave me a, a short lecture on how this was indeed the devil's music. And that um, he thought that Mick Jagger may in fact even look like the devil, uh, may even have a physical resemblance to the devil. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm like, I love satisfaction. I mean, how could I not? Yes. And uh, so, you know, I patiently listened to him and heard him out. Um, but, but still, you know, I was just kind of free to sort of wallow in all that. And I, I just, I, I loved it. And, and uh, my cousin convinced me to, to play drums. So at school, there was a, you know, a music uh, department and everything. And so I was in the school orchestra and all that kind of thing. And um, that's how it all started. Yes. That's, yeah. Yeah. So did you, did you leave school at 16? No, I went, uh, I went, uh, graduated from uh, our high school and went on to uh, university for a year. And that's 76. So that was, um, uh, I was just trying to figure out what to do. I didn't know if I wanted to keep doing that. The Ramones album came out. I bought it um, at this kind of hippie college record store. Um, I was shocked that they actually had it. I had read about it in uh, the Village Voice. Uh, when I was a student there, they had all these magazines, you know, and everything from all over the country. And so I had to hear it and I hated it. Of course, I thought it was the worst crap I'd ever heard. Uh, but within 24 hours again, I was thinking, well, this, <laughs> no, this is actually the best crap I've ever heard. And uh, so, you know, I was a total convert once again. And uh, so my cousin who lived in Los Angeles invited me out to stay for the summer. And I just came out and ended up staying for a very long time. Yes, absolutely. Oh, so where were you? Where did you grow up with your mom? That was in, in uh, it was around Dallas in Texas. Right. It was down there, yeah. that, 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 that direction. And did the drum, the drums, did they come quite easily to you? Did you sort of pick it up and feel quite comfortable straight away? Uh, I actually did. Um, they bought me in 67 uh, a uh, dark gray oyster pearl Ludwig set, which I just saw one for sale the other day for $5,000, um, which was, you know, an original set. Um, of course, God only knows where that set that I owned uh, ended up. But uh, mm. I love drums. I loved rhythm. I just, I just, uh, I began to sort of uh, start the process of putting these pieces together, sort of the way I loved music and approached it, and then identified the things about it that I really liked. What, what did I like? You know, is it was uh, not a conscious process, but I realized that the rhythm and, and the backbeats and, and all the underpinnings of pop music for me was always kind of a, a rhythmic thing. It was, it was always, uh, that was the foundation for me. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it didn't mean a whole lot since I didn't really pursue drums at it. After a yeah. few years, I quit. But, um, but it certainly came in handy later. Yeah, absolutely. And did you, I mean, was there any particular album or drummer that you thought, God, I love this, you know, this is kind of my style, like whether it was Woody Woodmansey or John Bonham or... Well, John Bonham, yes. I love John because he just, I mean, everybody talks about what a big sound it was. Well, yeah, it was, uh, you know, thanks to a producer in a studio, partly, but, uh, but I loved his style and I didn't even know it at the time. But I loved it because it, it was less is more. 
and he would take, he would just play the essential, but it had such a big presence. And I don't mean that necessarily in sound or volume. <laughs> it would just occupy so much of the song in a way because it was exactly what was needed, no more, no less. And I didn't even realize at the time that that was just something that for me personally was the way I really enjoyed playing drums. I loved Mitch Mitchell. Uh, I loved uh, Buddy Rich. I actually saw him live. Um, and it was, you know, it was so over the top. It was so incredible. I was like, well, that, I'm not that drummer. I know that. <laughs> um, I'll never be that guy. Yes. But um, but yeah, people like, like John Bonham or even Ringo Starr, you know, same thing. I mean, people think, oh, it's simple. You know, he just backbeat. You know, no, no. It's actually... There's actually a lot to that. And and that was his ability, his own talent to be able to just give you one beat versus say four or five. Um, and it had the same impact. Yes. You know, uh, I'm not like a big Neil Peart fan. I just play a thousand drums if you want. I don't really care. I, my mind it just kind of fogs over at some point. Yeah, but absolutely. Let me hear somebody cut through that and just really kind of underpin, you know, the song or whatever is 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 happening in a way that uh, that I can feel, uh, you know, or that gets me moving somehow. Well, that that's what I like. That yes. I think is just a tremendous. Um, I was going to say, did you get an opportunity or a chance to see the the Beatles eight hour film? You know, um, let it let it be. You know, with you know seeing them doing the recording process and yes, I did. Yeah, and and how it all came together. And I do think Ringo was extraordinary. His his patience and ability just to sort of stay. Oh my with god! It, yeah, you know, and, well, and I just I just yeah, it was so great to see that, and just to know to have been in a situation where, you know, oh my God, guitar players, you know, they could just go on and on. And, and, you know, at some point you want to stick your drumsticks in your eyeballs because you're like, oh, geez, please, please just come up with something, do something. <laughs> I love guitar players, but still, um, there's a never ending war between drummers and guitar players. Did you um, relate, did you relate to that kind of creative process of people, you know, as being in the studio in the rehearsal room, trying to sort of, get something together and just eventually things starting to tick. Yes, it made it so real. You know, you would think, I mean, I, I had thought uh, over time, like, well, what was that like? You know, what were their recording sessions like? What was it? You know, and I've read things and, uh, but to actually see that and, 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 it, and it's almost, it's almost mundane. It's like, well, these are just human beings and they're just coming up with things. They just happen to have, uh, uh, be blessed with this talent, you know, to actually make sense out of it. Whereas others might spend eight hours and still there's nothing there. But <laughs> I loved seeing that process and what an organic kind of thing and how all of them just blended so well together. You yes. know, it was just not a conscious thing at that point. They, they just felt each other. And I've always loved that since I became a musician and played uh, with a lot of different people. I, I really really began or learned to appreciate that unspoken communication that you have with certain musicians and you just don't have to tell them you know you just kind of start doing something and they're already there and it either works out into something or it doesn't i mean in gun club that happened a lot when jeff would come in with just a few chords 
and we literally spent the night working it out uh you know just just creating something out of it and feeling completely free to do anything we wanted yes with it you know it is so I love that process yes yes the creative process is extraordinary so when did you manage to you know get your first or be part of a, a band when was that sort of moment that you suddenly sort of entered that the world of rock and roll <laughs> well uh i had moved to los angeles in very late december 76 the ramones played uh, blondie and the ramones were the first two bands to play the very next month uh, at the whiskey, I'd never been to the whiskey a go go. To me, it was like all this history of rock and roll. Everybody had played there. I was pretty nervous. Uh, no need to be, but um, so I, I um, of course, was there at all those shows, all the, every single band that that played. And um, Los Angeles started to create its own bands, and and um, so I, w- I wanted to be more of a journalist. You know, I wanted to sort of cover all of this. I thought, well, this is. I'm giving up my college and my university to do this. It damn well better be for something. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just going to dive into this and catalog it. And, you know, and, and I think that would have been a lot of fun. I really would have enjoyed doing that. But about six months in, somewhere in the spring of 77, summer maybe, uh, uh, a friend of mine named Alice, she was in a, a local a band called The Bags. As she was from East Los Angeles and and they were just uh, Patricia, who later married Dave Vanian and the Damned. And Patricia was also in the band. And I just thought, wow, this is, you know, this is what this is supposed to be all about. Here are women playing in bands. No one is asking them. No one is questioning. They're just there mm. because, because we're here, because we're going to do this. Nobody even, there was no transition process. Like, well, you need to fill out an application, ma'am, before you can join a rock and roll band you know it it wasn't like that these were very very tough very focused women and they're like no fuck we love this we're gonna play it that's it done okay so we're in this band you want to join so alice told me that um her boyfriend who was sort of interim drummer was leaving and would i play drums for the bags and and i i was scared to death uh but that fear didn't stop me and i said yeah, I just blurted out, oh, well, yes, of course I will. She said, have you ever played drums before? I said, years ago. Close enough, you're in. <clears throat> so I went to a rehearsal, and I really hadn't picked up drumsticks in probably 10 years. Um, but it's the old, uh, it, 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 it literally was like riding a bike. You just do it. And I yes. was amazed at how uh, exhausted I was, but also how I could do this. And again, I think it's my own, uh, I just have that feel for, for rhythm and, and, uh, and for just kicking it out and just kind of just knowing where to be. And so that's how that started. And immediately we were, our, my first show that I ever played was at the Whiskey A Go-Go with, with the bags. I, uh, I had, I, I was very nervous and, so I thought, well, you know, a really nice strawberry milkshake would do the trick before the show. I'll, it'll calm me down. Of course, it <laughs> did the opposite. And right before we went on stage, I threw the whole thing up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of proud of that moment. But it was outside the club on the sidewalk. But I thought, well, I hope that 
splat last forever. Uh, there you go. Rock and roll right there on the sidewalk. There, that's, that's what it is. You want to know what this is? Check that splat out. That's what rock and roll is. Yes. Um, and at that stage, there was Alice in the band. And was it Pat on bass or had Patricia? Pat was playing bass. Yeah. Right. And then Craig yep. and, and Rob as well and you on drums. And Rob was playing lead guitar, Craig, uh, yeah, rhythm. And, uh, and I just stepped in and it was really fun. And the bags happened to be uh, very popular locally. Uh, you know, we recorded a single, but Los Angeles had such a strange experience at that time. Even though the record industry was in our backyard, literally, they, they ignored us like the plague. It's like we did not exist. Um, Different in London, different in New York. You know, some of these record company people would actually go to the parties. They would go and check this out. What is this? Let's find out. In Los Angeles, it was like, absolutely not. We don't want to know. We don't give a shit. You don't exist. Please don't knock on our doors. And so <laughs> it, it literally was a do-it-yourself, a, do, a DIY experience. I mean, from beginning to end making the records, the flyers, booking the shows. We were very fortunate that the, um, the, the people who owned the Whiskey A Go-Go were completely open to what we were doing because I think they loved these street scenes. For them, it was like, hey, we don't know what this is. We may not even like it, but there's a lot of people coming to these shows and that means a lot of alcohol sales. So let them in the door. Yes. Um, it, it was... It was great. We had a great stage, uh, um, among others, you know, to to actually play. Um, but uh, but that's how that kind of uh, got started. And 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 uh, but but the bags never got, you know, any. And I honestly, looking back, I mean, we, I, I wish we had recorded an album, but I'm not sure what it would be today, other than just sort of a raw artifact. Yes. <laughs> of the time, you know. But you've, you've, got, you've, got a, you've got the single Survive, haven't you? So, um... Yeah, we got that. And that actually sounds pretty good. And, and uh, I, I've always liked that. I thought Danger House Records, that local label, they did a good job. They really did put a lot of effort and heart into it, um, you know, to try to represent, uh, have an authentic representation of, of some local bands that otherwise, you know, uh, would not have ever happened. Yes. Um, so, so when the band folded, did you feel like okay, that was it, or did you were you quite hungry for right? That was good, but it was a bit brief. Shall we? Shall we try and find something, some other gig now? Right. Well, Rob and I, uh, you know, he wanted to play bass, and uh, occasionally at rehearsal he would play bass. And God, I loved playing drums with his bass because that he was just the most natural and talented musician I'd ever played with and still has have ever played. The guy could just play anything. You could tell him, play this. He just played it. It's song he had, he'd heard. He hadn't heard it. A genre, he knew it. He just knew what it was. He just had natural instinct for music. And so I, th I said, well, Rob, let's see if, let's go around and let's talk to people. Let's talk to other bands and see if maybe we can find um, you know, a drum bass uh, situation where they might need us both. If mm. not, fine. But so we did that. We went to various clubs and, and um, 
listened to bands. We just really ended up drinking way too much beer and uh, never found anybody. But, but, you know, we enjoyed the beer. But <laughs> um, we knew Jeff Pierce. I knew him from years before that, you know, when the whole scene began. And, um, and I liked Jeff. He would talk your ear off. Even if you're not listening, he's still talking. He could clear the sidewalk, this guy. I mean, he just was kind of like a rambling genius. He, he had an encyclopedic knowledge of music history, uh, roots music history and blues history. The guy was really amazing. I mean, it was, it was impressive, but Jesus Christ, how, how long can you listen to this guy talk about <laughs> it? <you know? laughs> um, so eventually people would just literally just sort of turn and walk away. And Jeff's still there talking. Who cares? You know, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, so I was trying to be nice and I listened to him a lot. I actually learned a lot listening, but <clears throat> Jeff had started a couple of bands um, and I didn't really pay attention. I just knew about them. They came, they went. Um, Rob and I, uh, a place called the Hong Kong Cafe in LA's uh, Chinatown near downtown, original Chinatown area. Um, and this place used to be a restaurant and a couple of um, uh, a couple of guys approached him and said, well, you've got a big upstairs area. Why don't we make a nightclub out of this? And you might make some money. I, you know, and, and they fell for it. So they would host bands. Actually, they were really fun shows at the Hong Kong Cafe. I think everybody that had been there uh, that went there remembers them quite fondly. Um, but one night, uh, Rob said, well, let's go to the Hong Kong and let's, let's talk. And there's a couple of people that are going to be there. And he said, oh, Jeff's newest band. Uh, called Gun Club is going to be there. And I was like, yeah, I, whatever, I don't care. So we go there <laughs> and we're listening and I'm like, uh, you know, here's Jeff. It's going to be kind of tortured. Well, it was kind of tortured, but by literally like the second song, I was just, I was really paying attention. I'm like, wait a minute, what's Jeff doing here? I kind of hear stuff. This is, I think I like this. <laughs> I don't, I can't quite figure out what it is. But I kind of like it. You know, it's very rough. And um, so by the end of the set, I'm sort of looking at Rob and I'm, he's sort of, you know, kind of laughing. And I'm like, well, I don't know, Rob. That, that's kind of, I sort of like what I just heard. It's kind of cool. I mean, what other, what, what other stuff do we have? He's like, well, but they're drummer and bass player. We don't know if they're going to quit. We don't know anything about it. I said, well, I'll ask Jeff. You know, I talked to Jeff after the show. It turns out, that their drummer and bass player quit that night after the show. That was their last show. Wow. And I, I said, well, Jeff, uh, I play drums. Rob plays bass. <laughs> Can we join your band? And he said, well, of course. Yeah, sure. Let's go to a rehearsal. Um, you know, so a couple of days later, that was it. And Rob and I felt like, well, okay, let's see what Jeff's like. Let's just go through this, see what happens. And the, the beginning of a beautiful relationship. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, well, a relationship anyway. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, it just worked. And I really did, I really, really did like uh, what Jeff was doing. I mean, I could sort of pick out the, the various parts of it. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm trying to be in a band that's actually maybe might make a little money. Maybe we could tour. Maybe I could support myself at the very minimum, you know. And this gun club shit, nobody's going to buy this. No one is going to care. But you know what? I don't care because I just like it and I can't help myself. I have to go for it 
because I just think it's really cool. And nobody is even attempting to do anything like this. Yes. You know, slide guitar in a punk band. I mean, who even knew what, what uh, Delta Blues amongst my friends, what that was? You know, I don't, they, Delta Blues, I don't know, what is that? Is that the name of a, you know, uh, a mobile home manufacturer? I don't know what that is. Um, so, um, and I, I wasn't like a huge fan of the blues, but, but I was certainly aware of it and I heard a lot of it. And that was the other thing that surprised me is how easily playing all that came to me, at least on the rhythmic side of it, obviously. Yes. And I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it was really fun to do. Um, but of course, Jeff's influences were old country and Western, which I love too. Uh, blues. I mean, Jeff, he would bring in these recordings of slave haulers from the 1800s, like some of the earliest like Alan Lomax and some of those people oh, that right. yes. cataloged this stuff, he would go find that stuff and bring it into rehearsal and say, okay, this is what I, this is what I want to sound like. Let's make this song sound like a slave holler, you know, or something like that. And I was just like, oh man, you know, <laughs> nobody, nobody's going to know what this is. Nobody's going to care either, are they? And, uh, but I thought it was so fun that I had to do it, and Rob loved doing it too. Yes, um, and was it a nice, um, who else was in the band at that stage? There was you, well, Jeff, and Rob. Yeah, uh, and uh, Kid Congo, who was Jeff's friend uh, from East Los Angeles. Kid Congo is uh, Latino, Jeff is half, his, his mother is Latino, his father was white. Um, so they met basically, and I say East Los Angeles because that was just a, a very large, at the time, um, mostly Latino area of L.A. Or it's kind of like almost like a, uh, a birthplace of a lot of things that happened within that community. Yes. Either protest movements or music, you know. And um, so here's two guys who were rebellious in their own way. I mean, they, they could barely, they couldn't even speak Spanish. Um, and I think a lot of people miss that angle with gun club that in fact really it was an east la latino band <laughs> but it started out is and 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 if you think of like i mean for us here it's easy there's a kind of east la noirish feeling about a lot of things here um yes. and i think the music sort of came from that i, I you know i kept hoping that a documentary might you know find that spot that, that um but um uh, none to date but um but that's where they came from and, and they were both uh you know their kid was just so open-minded and um uh jeff as well and and they just uh they were just so open to ideas and influences and and um and it was just amazing that that those two you know uh sort of created the band together and, um, uh, you know, I still speak to Kid. The, his, his new band was just playing here recently. And I mean, yes. he's, he's so, just the same fantastic guy. And at that cliffhanger, we're all going to stop it there. Not because I really wanted to, but that's just life. Um, so that's part one. Part two is coming up. But that's me in conversation with Terry Graham. Click on to part two now. <laughs> 